Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastor and Pig Podcast. So glad you all decided to join us for yet another week. It's hard to believe we're on episode 24. Uh, seems like we just started this a couple months ago, but here we are, 24 episodes in. Um, really been exciting. I hope you all are enjoying it as much as I am. Uh, again, I would appreciate any input, any uh, suggestions on upcoming topics or guests. Uh, I think it's been fun interviewing individual farms and their setups, but uh, we want to get more topical, so I'm still trying to work out some details there to have people on to talk topic-specific. Well, some updates on the farm here at Red Tool House. Um, Days are getting shorter, nights are getting colder, uh, leaves are falling, all this, you know, the great time of year. I I love this time of year. It it just seems to relax me, but then also feel like I've got a list of things that I got to get done before snow starts blowing or before water starts freezing. Uh, but you know, it's, it's good so far. We've, we've really enjoyed this fall, had some, some good opportunities there. Pigs are doing well. Um, and we'll, we'll have some more updates, uh, hopefully here in the next month or so, if we've got a farrowing that went successful and, and maybe some other things we're going to be looking into. Well, I'm going to dive right into our interview because it's, um, it's a good one. Uh, we have, uh, Kathy Payne, and you all may recognize that name. She is the author of Saving the Guinea Hogs, The Recovery of an American Homestead Hog. Uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just jump right into the interview because we talk all that, talk about all that and let her do a uh, bio information and some background stuff. Uh, but be sure to stick around at the end of the podcast, uh, even after we say goodbye where I do my closing listen, because we've, um, we've got some special offers there and some things uh, I'd like you all to help as far as uh, get the word out about Kathy's book. Well, everybody, welcome to the Pasture Pig Podcast. Um, so glad everyone decided to join us again. Um, very excited with our about having our guest today. I feel like I've uh, I've ratcheted up the podcast a notch. We have with us today Kathy Payne, and some of you have even asked me in advance, "Hey, you need to get Kathy on here because of her expertise." Kathy is the author of Saving the Guinea Hog, The Recovery of an American Homestead Hog. Uh, it's a book that um, some of you have already talked about with me. We've discussed it, and it's, it's awesome to have her on here today. It's exciting to point out, too, that uh, Reader's Favorite recently awarded her book, The Silver Medal, in their annual International Book Award contest. So uh, that's, that's a neat award there as well. Uh, Kathy is the expert on the American guinea hog history. And you can actually find more about her book and uh, Kathy herself at her website, guineahogbooks.com. And check out the news section. There's a lot of additional media. Uh, Kathy's been interviewed. She's written articles. She's, uh, she's got a lot of media out there about the uh, American guinea hog. So it's, it's really neat to, uh, to see what she has. So without further ado, I'm going to welcome Kathy. Kathy, welcome this morning. Well, thank you, Troy. I'm so glad to be here. Excellent. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to... To come on the podcast and again, you you're kind of uh, famous before I even uh, uh, got you recorded on here. The um, <laughs> had several people say, "Hey, we need we need to hear from Kathy. She is the uh, guinea hog expert." So glad you could take the time Wonderful. to uh, talk with us. My pleasure. 
Well, let's let's. I'm real excited to be on a pastured pigs podcast because that is kind of my passion is pastured pigs and and to have an audience that's devoted exclusive to that topic is great for me. Yeah, we have a very we have a very niche market. So I believe there's a a handful of us that that listen that engage with this podcast and. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we keep it very specific to this uh, to this area. So let's let's dive right in and talk about. Uh, well, well, first, obviously, we want uh, those that aren't familiar with Kathy Payne. We'd like uh, like to give um, some some background information there. Would you mind just tell us a little bit about yourself and and what kind of led you up to this point? Well, I've had a kind of an interesting journey over the years. Um, I was a special education teacher for thirty three years in the public school system. And in the process of, um, of that work, I got three degrees in education, uh, all from UGA, UGA. So those of you that know the Bulldogs, I'm a triple dog, or dog, as we say <laughs> right. in Georgia. Exactly. And, um, and in that process, I uh, first wrote a dissertation, which is a 300-something page book, and I did a research project that involved interviews and transcripts and tape recordings and data. And so when I retired from teaching, I, my husband and I started a sustainable farm. We won't get into that story, but we bought 11 acres in northeast Georgia, and um, he kind of got bored with farming pretty quick, and I, I became the farmer. And my focus was always on heritage livestock breeds. So I raised American rabbits, silver fox rabbits, Gulf Coast native sheep. And then somebody told me about the guinea hogs. It's like, well, what the heck is a guinea hog? I'd never heard of it. I started Googling. I looked it up in the Livestock Conservancy, and Jeanette Berenger had a like a two-page um, piece on a profile of the guinea hogs. Some of the websites, if you could find a breeder with websites, had little blurbs, mostly quoted from the Livestock Conservancy or from the AGHA, which is the American Guinea Hog Association. But they were all pretty much just a couple of paragraphs here and there. And I'm a real curious person, and, and in my research days, I learned to go directly to sources. So I couldn't find any direct sources. I said, well, if I want to read a book about the guinea hogs, I'm going to have to write it first. So I spent the next five years interviewing old timers, looking at historic data, finding archival letters, and um, any clue that I could find about guinea hogs. And one person would say, well, you need to talk to so-and-so. And that person would say, well, you know, so-and-so helped me with this. And uh, eventually, I had interviewed dozens and dozens of people, sometimes multiple interviews with the same people. And as you know, every time you talk to something, you learn something, and then you have more questions, right? So um, so that's what I did. Uh, I used a recorded um, a re- recordation service that recorded my interviews on the phone, and then I had those transcribed, and then I had files and files of transcriptions. And that was the basis for my book. So the book is fun because it has a lot of stories from people who were born as early as 1934, mostly Southern gentlemen, and um, they tell their stories. And it's very colorful. There's sections about butchering time and how hogs were run in the woods and brought in at night. And it's just a different... so it's a history, it's nonfiction history, but it's also a record of, of how the hogs were raised. 
It's yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate the the, the comprehensiveness uh, of the book. If you if you just just bra even bra browsing the table of contents, you can see there's um, you really do cover all the bases there. And 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 you know, looking at some of the uh, anecdotal stories, some of the discussion of the history, and um, and then even um, getting into where the guinea hog needs to be, where where we need to go from here. So uh, I really appreciate the um, the amount of effort and time that you put into that. Thank you. So, um, so you, you talked about why writing the book. Of course, you, you discovered that there was a, a, a very big deficiency when it came to comprehensive information or a collection of information about the guinea hog. Um, did you discover when you were writing that, um, was there, a, was there a, a good deal of information that was simply lost generationally because uh, these experts had passed away, or did you find that got handed down pretty well? Um. It, yes, I did run into uh, people who I wanted to talk to who were deceased. Two were deceased um, in the middle of the project. Mm. Um, so I realized that if this information had not been recorded, that it would be lost soon, and uh, that verified that. Um, the American Guinea Hog Association was formed, and it's, it's the main registry that survived of the guinea hogs. Um, it was formed in 2006, and I started my project in 2013, so that was only seven years into it. And nobody had ever written down even the history of, of how those people started the association, where they found their hogs, or who bred the hogs that they found. None of that had been re recorded, and the actual people who founded the organization had never delved into where the stock actually came from. So I went backwards, backwards, backwards. And there was one breeder that had the majority of the founder foundation stock for the breed, um, and I never could get a hold of him. I found his address, I found a phone number, but he wouldn't respond to me. Hmm. Uh, I've actually had readers um, read my call to action, you know, and and notice the things that I was that were missing from the book. And they are now feeding me information. And one of them actually went to this breeder's house and found him and talked to him and oh, wow. asked questions and then gave me the contact number of the person that he had purchased his hogs from, which I spent an hour interviewing and then found out who he purchased his hogs from, which traced back to somebody that I found in the process of researching my book. So it's so I've just tracked these lines down, and we can now recreate pedigrees that have been unknown for the last um, 13 years. So it's, it's pretty exciting. So it's like teamwork. I've got these detectives out there that I don't even know that are just... Um, continuing the work so i will be writing a sequel soon oh excellent i still need to talk to that farmer so um yeah i mean what, what a great process yeah what a great opportunity to have uh, as you say you you've, you're motivating people to to help do that research and and just more and more of that information comes in that that makes um, researching easy when when it when it comes to you instead of having to go seek it out <laughs> right right so, yeah, so that kind of thing kind of happened as I went along. I pretty much just put the word out there. I was doing the research. I was writing a book, and people started calling me, emailing me, and mailing me information. So um, I put it all together. Wonderful. 
Well, um, I'm sure most of our audience is familiar with the guinea hog, but um, we have a pretty eclectic, you know, inside the pastured pig uh, group, we have a pretty eclectic variety of, of people, some that are just um, homestead level, maybe just raising a couple hogs for themselves and their friends, all the way up to large-scale pastured production. Um, and there's there's a little bit of a stigma that goes with some of these uh, smaller heritage breeds um, when it comes to production. So in your experience with the guinea hog, why would you say it's a good fit for a pastured pig operation of any size? Well, the guinea hog is a very uh, docile animal. It's very easy to raise. It is a slow-growing animal, um, but the quality of the meat is very distinctive. It has a lot more fat. It has a lot more flavor. Um, it's just a really excellent meat product, and it does have a niche with chefs. Um, so I'd like to see more people promoting the breed as a kind of a niche market. And I used to get, I don't know how much people are selling, you know, their production meat hogs like to a chef at a restaurant. But I think I was getting six or seven dollars a pound for uh, on the hoof for a whole hog hmm. at our local restaurant. Um, now I didn't sell a lot to restaurants, so I don't know if I could scale that up. But I would like people who are breeding pastured hogs to consider, you know, that doesn't have to be the whole herd, but I'd like them to consider if they are liking the breeds that they are crossing. To consider registering heritage breeds and helping to actually save the breed because these breeds are still very iffy and I don't think people realize how iffy they are. Mm. Um, I'm currently doing some staff work, temporary staff work for the Livestock Conservancy and um, we are doing a census on the large black hogs and that information will be released in the next couple months. Um, but I am concerned about the history of the large blacks and, you know, how they're going to be moved forward. So, um, and it's the same thing with a lot of these breeds. So I'd like to talk about, um, you know, it, I'm sure your farmers know about the F1 generation. If you take, say, a Berkshire pig and you cross it with a Tamworth, you're going to get some hybrid bigger in that F1 generation right mm -hmm. and that's because you've got totally different genetics and they're crossing and you get this hybrid vigor um, so in order to do that you have to have the separate lines that you know are definitely unrelated in the first place and you get the best of one breed and the best of the other breed in that first generation if you continue crossing their offspring you're going to just get a hogwash you know <laughs> you're just going to kind of wipe out all that vigor so you have to have the heritage you have to have the purebreds to start with so if these pigs go extinct like the guinea hogs and the Asaba Island and the Mishan then and the old spots you're not going to have them to work with anymore so I don't think people are thinking about that part, but one of the reasons that a lot of the breeds become extinct in the first place is because they're mainly used as crossbreeding and not being bred as purebreds. Mm. So I'm just throwing that out there. Um, we save our national parks, we protect our historic buildings, 
but our native and traditional livestock had fed us, clothed us, pulled our plows, and carried us on their backs. You know, they're part of American history. And in each of those breeds, 50% of the genome is unique within a particular species. So the guinea hog um, genes are 50% unique compared to the Asaba hmm. genes, compared yeah. to the old spot genes. When that breed dies, then you lose those genes from the entire species. And the thing about the heritage hogs is they're locally adapted, they're hardy, easy to manage, multi-purpose, resistant to parasite and disease, thrifty, unique meat quality, um, and in the case of the Gulf Coast sheep, he's got a quality wool suitable for hand speed hand spinning with the rabbits you may have pelts that can be made into fur products so you're losing that when you lose a breed right and i just kind of want to put that out there that that's um something that uh if you're interested in history if you like the qualities of these breeds then um that could be easily lost now there are people who are gearing up um maybe working more on their meat production than their breeding stock. And that's fine because if you are selecting your very best breeding stock to move forward for breeding to protect the breed, then you're going to have culls. And the culls have to have a market. And the market, of course, is meat. Um, if your readers might want to look up Lucky George Farm in Iowa. Hmm. And they are raising the large blacks. And they have actually imported British stock from England, um, and they're raising some half American, half British hogs, and also they're selling really top quality large black hogs. Um, and they're doing some wonderful things with the genetics, and they sell 75 hogs a year for their meat market. Uh, and they also have a very diverse herd. So, um, there, you know, it can be done. Yeah, yeah, and I'll uh, oh. and I'll uh, I'll post that information in our uh, our show notes there, uh, Lucky George Farm. But wow, yeah, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, so if we could back up just for a second, Kathy, because this this is something I was um, ignorant of until recently, and that's really understanding, as you mentioned, that that F one looking at taking um, taking two specific breeds because you want that hybrid vigor and, and everyone knows okay yeah we, we, we bred these two different uh, breeds we've got uh, a really nice mashup of those breeds um, really good uh, confirmation there that you normally get from that but as you pointed out continue just breeding that offspring back to itself or back to some other mashup that that hybrid vigor starts to go away and, and I was uh, reading just recently that you, know, you could have uh, you, know, you know good confirmation you know, 130% of those breeds in that first uh, generation but then that that drops dramatically in that second and third generation so when we look at that and say uh, having the the two the two individual uh, breed lines uh, pure breed lines and then breeding those for your your uh, your hybrid vigor the flip side of that of course you know, could you speak to this what about the the discussion of well if you just kept breeding american guinea hog uh, because the genetics are limited, you end up introducing issues on down the line with, with health and welfare simply because the, the genetic uh, diversity is, is limited. How, how would you uh, argue that? 
That is an excellent point. Well, um, my book is a great tool for breeders that are concerned about that, specifically for the American guinea hogs. You have to be a little nerdy and, and be able to look at um, look at pedigrees and also know how related the different lines are. And what I found out in my book research is that what we thought were two lines and um, what we thought were two lines were actually one line. And recently we found out that there are actually uh, three lines that were one line. So um, you need to look at the genetics and see how far, you know, of course you have a new bloodline if you start with the same hogs but then you breed for multiple generations on different farms with different selections, then you're driving those genetics in different ways. So you need to be able to look at the different lines, and instead of um, cross-breeding, you can do what's called line crossing. So you get a line A from the guinea hogs, purebred. You get line B from the guinea hogs, purebred. Um, you find them that they're, that they're no... Uh, similar hogs or hogs with the same name within between them for say four generations and then you cross those two lines and you get line bred vigor hmm. not quite as good as cross bed vigor but it keeps the it keeps it within the breed and it still gives you that vigor and but in order to do that you have to do some line breeding and inbreeding to get those dis most distinct lines mm -hmm. so in my uh, in my book I talk about the Summerall hogs and the Summerall hogs Donna Dormany in uh, Kentucky on Solomon's Wisdom Farm she has some very strong Summerall breeds from different hogs in that family that are closely related but they're more like cousins and that kind of thing and then you've got uh, the Hester's herd, which is in Indiana, with um, Becky Mahoney, um, Home Instead Farm, and she's got a different line of hogs. And if you crossed those two lines, you would get the line bred figure. Very good, very good. All yeah. right. Well, um, so getting back to one of your other points there, how how endangered how how much of an issue is it for the guinea hog and some of the other heritage breeds you mentioned uh, you, you mentioned that 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 uh, there's some scarcity there just just how severe is this issue right now well um there are three american breeds and um two or three of the british breeds plus the chinese breed that are all pretty much on that same scale the Livestock Conservancy has a um, conservancy priority list. Uh, let's see. I have one here on Canada. I'm doing some research for the large blacks. Um, so you can go to the website at the livestockconservancy.org and look up their priority list. And you'll see, I think, pretty much in the same column, American guinea hogs, Osbaugh Island pigs, the Mishan maybe even a little more critical for the, the Nishan, large blacks and the Gloucester old spots. So the old spots and the large blacks are British origin. The American guinea hogs have a history in the South for about 150 years. The Ospot Island hogs are from an island off of Georgia. 
Uh, they came over with Spanish stock originally in the 1500s. The Choctaw are also a southern pig uh, from Mississippi and Alabama that migrated to Oklahoma when the Choctaw tribes were forced to reservations there. They came from the 1500s. And the Mishan date back to China. And the large spot blacks and the old spots have been raised in England since the 1800s. So they all have this long, long history. But there was a time around 2000 when the guinea hogs were down to a population of about 50. And really just a couple of uh, bloodlines there. And then the Asaba Island hogs, they only imported 45 of them to from the island, I think, in the somewhere between 1970 and 1990. I don't know that much about the Ospas. Mark Mousseau in Atlanta is um, the, a big promoter of branding the Ossaba Island, and his farm is called Hamthropology, and he sells registered branded Ossaba pork. Uh, Rico Silvera in Tennessee is raising the Michon and started the Michon um, Breed Registry and Association, and he's branding the Michon meat, and they're selling that in restaurants in New York City and having taste testing contests. So there's um, there's a lot to do if somebody has a passion for these heritage breeds or one of them to get into the history, learn the lineage, save the bloodlines. Um, and the thing about raising these non-pedigree hogs that are being pasture-raised, I mean, the meat's delicious and the hogs are pretty reliable, but if you're not tracking pedigrees, you don't know who's related to who, mm-hmm. and you don't know how closely you're inbreeding. And then all of a sudden you hit that spot where your production is low. You know, you're you're not going to have pigs that grow as fast, or you're not going to have large enough litters, or you won't have sows that that milk well. And if you can't track that, and you can't go back and see where the problem is, you can't fix it. You just throw them away and go buy new pigs. Um, yeah, and that... so I'm just trying to put it out there for your listeners. Right. Yeah. There are other ways of doing things. I'm not saying that this is for everybody because there's challenges of keeping up with the pet paperwork, and it's just like if you're raising organic, there's paperwork, you know, and you have to um, be registered. And the same thing, if you're raising the purebred hogs, you're going to join an association, and you're going to do paperwork. You're going to keep records, but that can be to your benefit. You know, and that's that's a good point because I run into this from time to time with um, other producers. They look and say, "Well, I want," and maybe it's a production breed, not necessarily a heritage breed. They say, "Well, I want. I'm getting a pure X, whatever it may be," and then to have the discussion. Okay, is this registered? Have you done the paper? No, well, no, no, no. It's just I got it from a guy that I know. I'm I'm pretty pretty certain that that his um, breed line is pure. So I've got X Y Z. And uh, so they, they kind of put aside, it, it's, it's a secondary importance to keep that paperwork up, to register, to follow that through. But as you're talking about, not only, and I didn't think about what you're talking about there, that you could end up getting two breed lines that are, that are way too close to one another versus somebody selling you something that isn't even purebred to begin with. It, it may have the characteristics of XYZ. It may look like a guinea hog, but it, it could have actually something else in it. Yes, if you cross... A guinea hog with an 
Asaba or with the Kuni Kuni, that F1 generation, it can look exactly like a guinea hog, except maybe with the Kuni Kunis you might get waddles. But they won't all have waddles, and it, it, it's really easy to pass those off. If you have, um, say, an Asaba mixed with uh, a guinea hog, uh, you can have babies. They can both look black and just like a guinea hog, and then the babies will be born striped. And that's a sign. It is not a guinea hog. That's right. There's no such so thing as a striped guinea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They fade when they grow, but the, the Asaba Islands are born with the stripes, kind of like the um, fawns are born with the spots, hmm. and then they fade. So it's it's tricky. And, um, yes, if you don't know what you're starting with, you certainly don't know where you're going with them, and it doesn't help to preserve the breed because the way that the associations work is they will register stock if the parents are registered, mm-hmm. and if someone chooses to sell an unregistered hog to somebody and then they decide five years later they want to breed that hog and then have registered offspring, that's no longer an option. So you've basically cut off that bloodline forever. So it you know, from that particular hog. So it's kind of um kind of sad. It it can easily happen within a short time, even five or ten years, that you can move a population to crossbreeding. Yeah. Yeah. If nobody is taking um the steps to keep the registered breeds going. And it takes a significant number to keep it going hmm. so kathy for somebody that's listening to this um we'll, we'll say let's take my farm for example so i've um, i've got a small production farm usually you know 20 to 30 hogs at most um mm-hmm. more more of the commercial breed lines i do a lot of uh, duroc in hampshire so if i was good to start and say okay i'm you know kathy's what kathy said has really spoken to me i, I want to start with a with a guinea hog where do i even begin where does a producer like me begin well, you, first you want to uh, start hanging out with people that have guinea hogs. Um, the Guinea Hog Association is, is the American Guinea Hog Association. Um, there are some Facebook groups um, devoted to it. I have one that's kind of nerdy. It's called Registered American Guinea Hog Breed Discussions. It's on Facebook. Um, there's a new group on MeWe. There's the American Guinea Hog um, Association AGHA official Facebook page. Um, then, of course, my book's a great resource because it gives you the history and it gives you charts with the bloodlines so you can see where the bloodlines are from and it tells you where uh, some of the major breeders are living. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's my website, guineahogbooks.com, which has a picture gallery. So if you go to the pedigree gallery, it'll show you photographs of specific hogs, and it will show you their pedigree, Um, so you can see the lines that they came from, and you can look at the pictures of the hogs at various ages, and then you can say, oh, well, I really like that bloodline better than this other bloodline, because guinea hogs are a land-raised breed, and there's a lot of variety between the the bloodlines. Hmm. Um, Then... Yeah, that's, that's about all you can find, articles here and there. You can go to the Livestock Conservancy and find out more about the guinea hogs. 
read the AGHA website, and um, and eventually you'll you'll get a picture of it. It is a large hog, so it's much fattier, and it is smaller and slower growing. So you're not going to get a 250 pound hog in six months. Uh, you might get a 150 pound hog in six months. Um, but you can sell that at a premium. Some people sell. Um, I used to sell roasters if I had, say, a hog was born with a hernia or something and I didn't want to raise him out for very long, then I could sell him at eight weeks as a suckling pig. Mm, yeah. Either to a customer or to a restaurant, and they were fantastic for Easter. Um, so you have to be creative. You have to work on your marketing. And um, it's it's not for everybody, but for the people that are into it, they're really into it, and it's fun. <clears throat> and you're um, you're moving something historical forward. I say in my call to action at the end of the book that I want the guinea hogs to be around for my great great grandchildren. So I have six grandchildren now, and um, I want them to appreciate and know the guinea hog breed very good so it sounds like uh, getting started it definitely uh, this aspect of research and community start there first and then as you mm -hmm. mentioned as you're researching the different lines figuring out what you want um and i think most of us that listen know this that don't be afraid or don't don't be scared off if to find your starting pair just, just to start your, your breeding herd that you may have to drive. You may have to drive to different parts of the country to find exactly what you're looking for, but uh, mm -hmm. take the time to do so. Um, um, do the research and, and understand who you're buying from and what you're buying, I assume. Exactly, yes. And you want to ask them about their selection criteria uh, because just because something has registered parents doesn't mean that you should register every pig in the litter. Um, and somebody that only sells 10 to 20% from a litter because they're using a specific guidelines is the kind of breeder that will sell you quality. And you won't, you know, you pay for quality. Um, so you just have to ex accept that. Right, exactly. Know? Yeah, it's just like anything. You invest in, you invest in something. If you're going out to buy a tractor, uh, you could go out and buy something for $1,000, but no, it's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to leave you frustrated at times, or you go out and buy a $20,000 tractor, and, and you get what you pay for in that sense. Right. Now, one thing that you um, that's different with the heritage breeds is like I handed out before, they have specific characteristics that the more modern breeds do not have, so you're not likely to need to worm them or vaccinate them um, and you won't want to free feed them. These these hogs will get really fat on corn, really fat on free feeding. They will they they won't be sleeping all day. They'll be out there um, gathering their own food all day instead. Mm. So they'll be eating your pasture. They will be gleaning acorns. They'll be looking for grubs. Um, they're very active hogs. Uh, they do dig like all hogs do, especially after the rain, but not. they won't do nearly the damage on pasture that a five or 600-pound hog will do. Right, yeah. So, um, and they're just, they're very easy to manage. I've trained a couple of my sows 
well, when they were little baby gilts, to sit on command. They know their names. They'll come when they're called, you know. Right, yeah. it's, They're not going to be up there, you know, chewing on your pants and jumping on you or anything. So it just makes them easy to manage. So people that have smaller homestead-type farms especially will appreciate that in a, on a small piece of land that um, it's, it's an appropriate uh, choice, you know, for a big meat operation. Maybe not, but the large black would be a step up in size. Um, and there are people who are raising them in, in very large herds. Uh, such as Lucky George, and um, and those might be a better choice for somebody that wants to get into meat production. Yeah. But if you have a market for charcuterie, um, high-end restaurants, um, the guinea hog could be a way to go for maybe a more smaller pastured op- operation. But you want to build your market first, <laughs> whether you're selling breeding stock or meat. You don't want to wait until you're weaning your piglets to figure out where to where to sell them. You don't exactly. want to wait until you're at the processor to figure out how you're going to sell that meat. You know, you want to have a, a presence. You want to have a following. You want to have uh, you want people to be able to find you. So that's all important. Yeah, absolutely. Business is business. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, no matter what you're selling, what you're producing, you, you have to have a certain business acumen to be able to make sure your product can be moved. Exactly. Okay. Well, Kathy, um, um, as far as the book goes, you mentioned your website, uh, the uh, guineahogbooks.com. And uh, obviously, you, you can purchase the book there, or you can find it on Amazon, and I'll post all those uh, links down uh, in the uh, show description. But uh, as you'd mentioned already, your, your website has more than just uh, book sales. It, it's, it's pretty comprehensive. I, I, I was going through it and appreciate, uh, obviously, the other media sources there where uh, people can hear you uh, and, and interact with your interviews. But you'd mentioned this, um, uh, this photo gallery, the, the pedigree line, all those type of things. So this really, your website's focus is, is really to become kind of a one-stop shop for all things guinea hog, correct? Yes, it is. That's that's kind of the direction I'm moving. I want that to be an educational piece because it's one thing to talk about bloodlines and look at a pedigree, and it's another thing to look at the hog that the pedigree represents. And that's kind of a missing piece. It, uh, I basically try to set things up so that it's helpful for me. <laughs> and I figure, you know, if this is something that I would be looking for, then other people probably are too. When I was first trying to purchase heritage livestock, I couldn't um, I couldn't find good websites. So I mm. thought, well, all I have to do is put up a website. People find me. And, and they did. People traveled from uh, several states away to get rabbits, you know, so uh, these breeds are not always easy to find, Um, but I'm not selling hogs anymore. Uh, I sold my farm. I moved to the city. I'm near uh, some of my grandkids now, and um, um, yeah, I'm in my late 60s, so uh, I want to spread information. That's what I'm selling now is just information, Mm -hmm. 
doing some public speaking and uh, just beating the drum for heritage livestock breeds. Uh, for those of you that are here in Georgia, I'll be speaking on this topic at the Georgia Organics Conference in February. I think it's the end of the first week in February, and I'm going to do a panel discussion with some people that raise other heritage breeds, different species, and um, we're going to be talking about is our heritage livestock a good fit for the farm. So this is a, a big direction that I'm heading because, again, it's our history, mm-hmm. and I want our history to be our future. Excellent. Yes. Well, I appreciate the, um, and, and I think there's so many opportunities when it comes to internet media, of course, specifically, where um, people develop uh, websites or whatever and say, well, we're a repository of information, we're a one-stop shop for this, and, and you discover there's not a lot of reference, there's not a lot of research, some of it's anecdotal, some of it's just completely made up. And that's what I really appreciate, and, and I want my listeners to, to understand and just underscore this point that... Uh, with Kathy's background, with her educational experience, um, with what she's done uh, educationally, that she has put the due diligence into this. Uh, so this website is is very robust, uh, and of course, very referenced. There's um, there's a lot of history, a lot of background, a lot of research that goes into her information. So it's exciting to see in our industry somebody with that professional experience and 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 work ethic and research knowledge to be able to pour that into this specific uh, you know, subject matter. So, Kathy, we really appreciate you taking the time to do all of this. Well, thank you very much. That's kind of you to, to, to notice my hard work. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it is. It's, it's, um, in, in my brief experience in biology, it's, it's a lot of work. To, to make a statement, you got to back it up. And uh, so when, you, when right. you back something up, then it, it has to be uh, referenced. Well, um, uh, before we wrap up, there's, there's one thing that, that it's really exciting to announce. You're, you're offering a, uh, a special treat for uh, our listeners. Yes, I am. If you go to my website, guineahogbooks.com, and then you type in a forward slash promo, P-R-O-M-O, and a second forward slash after the promo. It will take you to a hidden page on my website, and that will give you a promo code. And if you put in that promo code between um, now and, say, the end of December, that's going, and you choose, I'll have an REO bookstore set up there, and you click on the link and you put in the promo code with the ebook. The ebook is on sale for $5.99, but uh, if you use the promo code, it'll be free. There are also other books that you can purchase on that page, including the soft cover and hard cover copies of my book and other farming books. Excellent. So there you go, people. You can you can get a free ebook copy of Kathy's book, and I recommend you. Know, I'll, I'll put that link below or in the in the show description. So be sure to visit that, take advantage of that link, uh, download the ebook for yourself, and then uh, purchase a hard copy or paperback uh, to give to somebody else you may know that would enjoy that. Yes, but the actual promo code is on um, the promo page, so not on the REO book page. So you'll have to go to my website first, first yes. to get the promo code. Very good. Well, Kathy, we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, to talk with me today, and and so excited to have you on the podcast. And and in the future, hopefully, we can get you back and and talk about some of the progress you've made with some of the other heritage breeds as well. Thank you so much, Troy. I appreciate it. Well, I pray you have a good day. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Well, as you can tell, uh, Kathy is 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 very. Um, 
excited and very focused on spreading the word about heritage breeds and especially the American guinea hog. Uh, so I, I encourage you take obviously take advantage of the free book. My goodness, that's that's kind of a no brainer. Uh, I'll post down in the show notes. Uh, the details of that, the link to be able to go get that promo code, and then, of course, then go to the book uh, page to actually order that book. But if you can, order a hard copy, order a paperback. Uh, help support Kathy and all of her efforts in, in her writing. And one thing that I think would be very helpful if we could do as a, as a pastured pig group audience, and we want to see uh, the word get out about this, and we want more people to hear about these heritage breeds and, and pasturing hogs. So if you've read the book, go to Amazon, go to these other sources where the book's available and leave a review. Um, that really helps, especially on Amazon, that really helps move the needle as far as other people seeing these books. And we may be able to push this uh, uh, knowledge out about uh, the heritage breed and, and pasturing pigs may push it out to people that maybe have not run into it before. So uh, if you like the book, if you like what Kathy's doing, then by all means, please support her uh, by doing a review there. But well, hope everyone has a great week and you get to spend some quality time out in the pasture. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.